good to be here this morning and good to see so many of you. Uh, it's always nice when we have, well, I mean, they're not really guests. I mean, they're guests, but they're, we, we see you and, and it's always good to see you again. I'll just leave it at that then, shall we? Um, and uh, all, just highlight of, of the week, getting to be with all of you and sharing this time of worship and, and praise and to discuss some ideas from God's word. This morning, I'm going to take you back to begin with to Jeremiah chapter 18. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah 18. The prophets are, I mean, let's be honest. The Old Testament prophets are kind of weird sometimes. They, they tell their stories in a variety of different ways. Some of them have visions. Some of them have uh, experiences. Some of them are given words by the Spirit and by God to deliver to the people. These are the stories of God teaching and reminding his people and warning his people and talking to his people through these people that are just chosen. And they write what they write and they say what they say and they do what they do and then they disappear. We don't really know what happens to a lot of them before or after these books that are written by them and about them. So there's some strange things sometimes that we see in the prophets. And Jeremiah, in chapter 18, is told by God to go and look at something. This is going to be a lesson of observation. He wants Jeremiah to go and observe and then take what he learns from that observation back to the people for instruction. And where does he send him? Well, he sends him to the potter's house in verse 2. God says to him, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Verse 3, then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. Now, amazingly, thousands of years later, not much has changed about pottery. We still have people who make pottery by hand. They do so on a wheel. Admittedly, it's a bit of an anachronism today in our world of high consumption and mass production. It's really special to find something that's handmade and handcrafted. Uh, living in, growing up in Arkansas, uh, if we wanted to go and like an amusement park or do something fun as a family... About the closest thing was Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri, uh, the Las Vegas of the retirement community. Um, Branson is actually a pretty cool place. I grew up going to Branson, and, and if you've ever been, I hope you had a good time. But Silver Dollar City is kind of the amusement park. It's kind of, kind of like if you've ever been to Dollywood uh, in Pigeon Forge, it's like Dollywood light. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we used to have... Church groups that would go or families would go. It was a lot of fun. But they have those kind of old-timey things to go and watch that uh, we get enjoyment out of seeing how things were done, uh, the old way of doing things. And one of them was a, a pottery uh, place where you could buy handmade pottery. You could sit there and just watch this guy work on pottery. And he had the wheel and he had the clay. And it's really amazing, almost mesmerizing to watch people work this way. But Jeremiah is sent to go observe this. So he's seeing something that we've all seen and we understand. So he looks at, at the potter. He's making something on the wheel. Verse 4, though, doesn't go according to plan. The vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So it, it didn't shape up the way he wanted to. It fell over. It got messed up. So what happens? Well, he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. It's an interesting thing to observe, isn't it? So Jeremiah goes down. What does God want him to see? Well, here's a potter making a pot, but it, it, it breaks. 
it gets messed up. So he takes that clay and he does what any of us would do. He starts over and reshapes it into something else. And it's noted there, it was at his pleasure. It was whatever he wanted to make. Now, God goes on to tell Jeremiah that he can take this message back to the people and say that this is God and Israel, that God is shaping his people and they've been spoiled. They've, they've come apart in his hand. And so he's going to wipe it out, start over and build something new. That can be a bit of a scary message. In fact, it probably was intended to be a little bit of a scary message. A lot of the prophet's words and uh, encouragement to the people are, frankly, warnings. If you read through the prophets, they do a lot of warning about what God is going to do and why he's going to do it. This should call to our attention, though, and, and by the way, we can learn a lot from these prophets. They spoke and wrote for different people in a different time than us. But we learn a lot about the nature of God and how he wants to have a relationship with his people and what that looks like through the prophets. So very, very important stuff to learn in, the, in what we call the major and minor prophets. Very important. Because it helps us understand God's nature and the, relate, the kind of relationship he desires and how he's going to make it happen. Also helps us to understand Jesus a lot better by reading the prophets. You see what God's doing. And if you have some knowledge of what's coming in the Gospels, you can look back on the prophets and see that in a totally different light. Because this message from Jeremiah is totally different with Jesus in mind. Because if you have in mind, Jesus hasn't happened yet and he's not going to happen in the context this was written, God's going to wipe out Israel and he's going to form a new nation. And that's scary. That's apocalyptic. That is paradigm-shifting uh, kind of scary language. But when we look at it as Christians, we see, oh, that makes sense. We see where we fit in that story because Israel did not shape up to be what God had in store for them, and so he had to do something different. And I don't mean that like he went to plan B. No, it was always the plan. So what is this story? What is this potter and this vessel he's making? And how do we understand it as it relates to God's nature? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, reveals the divine purpose of God's people. Paul writes there, In him, that is in God, also we have, or, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Uh, don't get hung up on that word predestined. That's a, that's a word that's created a lot of divisiveness in, in doctrine throughout Christianity. Just understand that it just means God always intended for something. It doesn't mean that he has a list that he picked beforehand of who's going to make it and who's not. What he's predestined was that there would be heirs to an inheritance. He has predestined that those that call on the name of Jesus Christ will receive the blessing of sanctification and eternal life. That's what's predestined. That's what's predetermined. It just means God's always had a plan to save people, and he wants to save everybody. That plan goes back even to the time of Jeremiah. There is a divine purpose and plan for us in Christ. In Peter's first letter, he addresses it to several churches, and he refers to them this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, that they are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit 
to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. That's how he describes his fellow Christians. That they are those who know God, who obey Christ, and have been cleansed with his blood. So there is this plan, there is this purpose, and it is to be purified and to obey. That's what God has in store for us. And to understand the potter and the clay in Jeremiah, we have to understand that God, as the potter, has a vision and a plan. When he sits down to shape that clay, he's got an image in his mind of what he wants it to look like and what he intends for it. And God, in the same way, has an intention for who we will be and who we are to him. But much like Jeremiah's observation, we don't always end up following the plan. We don't always look like what God intends us to look like. We fail at the purpose that God has put in in front of us, that he has in store for us. That's a very obvious thing. Paul writes about that in Romans in chapter 3, verse 23. He says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is an accepted part of our nature. It is, in fact, an actually critically important part of our story with God. We, we read chapter 3, verse, verse 23 there from Paul in Romans and say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's easy to go, oh, man, we're always messing up. It's, it, we read that and say, well, Paul is, is, is making a claim or making an accusation about what's wrong with us. No such thing. Satan is the accuser. Paul is making a point about the nature of man as it relates to God's nature and actually revealing an important fact that makes the whole thing work. It is the fact that we are hopeless. It is the fact that we fail. It is the fact that sin exists that makes the cross work, that makes it necessary. And Paul is making that point, and if you remember the larger theme of Romans as he's talking to a group of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians and making the point Both of you are in the same boat apart from Christ. Our sin, our failure to live up to the standard, to the vision, to the intention of God is a part of how we were created. It was a part of the story that was supposed to happen because God needed a people to save. And we are that people. All have sinned and fall short of the glory. So, The question that I'm led to, I don't know about you, when I read about the potter and the clay and he's making it, and it says that it was spoiled in his hand, the clay was spoiled in his hand. Now, if I'm watching someone work a potter's wheel and they're making something and all of a sudden it just flies apart and flops over, I say to myself, oh, that guy messed up. The potter messed up. It's his mistake. Because the clay doesn't have any choice, he controls it. This is where we have to be careful with observations and examples and metaphor in Scripture. If we push them too far, uh, too literally, they do break down. They're not intended to be completely literal. The observation that Jeremiah sees has more to do with the potter than it does the clay. But yes, the clay is spoiled in his hand. It doesn't form the way he wants it to form. Because despite all of God's intentions and all of the warnings and all of the teachings and everything in our path, we still get to choose. We still get to choose. 
And sometimes our choice leads us to be spoiled. It leads us to fall apart. It leads us to not be what God had in mind for us. The question is not, how did that happen? Jeremiah's observation is not focused on what did the potter do wrong or what, what was wrong with the clay. The focal point of Jeremiah's observation is what happens when that occurs. The, the, oh, the exciting part of what he saw at the potter's house was not the pot falling apart. It was what happened after that that God told him to go tell the people about. It was when the potter picked up the spoiled clay, reformed it, put it back on the wheel, and made something new. And the new thing that he made was perfect. It was exactly what he had in mind. This is a story not about who's at fault for our sin. It's not about whether God has failed or we have failed. It is about God's sovereignty. God has the authority when something is not working to start over. And he has exercised that authority throughout history. The story of Noah and his family has a lot to do with God demonstrating that he has the sovereignty to start over. And I believe that that event and that story serves as a wonderful basis for us to understand what God did through Christ on the cross. Because what Christ did on the cross and what occurs, Peter makes this point too, in baptism, is we are partaking in that reshaping of the world. We are partaking in being lifted up above the sin and destruction of the world. God looked at humanity and said, I'm going to show you how I can wipe the slate clean. He still has that power, but that's not what he wants to do. But in a spiritual sense, he wiped the slate clean when Christ was crucified. The same thing that happened in the flood occurred on the cross. But rather than the physical death of so many in this world, a spiritual death occurred and we died to ourselves when we partake in that sacrifice in baptism. Peter makes that point excellently in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. But the illustration of the potter and the clay is an illustration of God's sovereignty, God's authority. If we don't meet the vision that he has in store, then he will reshape us and can reshape us into something new, something desirable. So is God going to throw us out? Did God throw out Israel? Did the potter throw out the clay? God doesn't want to throw us out. That's the point. God doesn't just throw us in the corner and say, well, forget that. I'm going to get something new or I'm, going to, I'm, I'm not even going to make a pot. No, God doesn't want to get rid of us. He doesn't want to start over. What God wishes to do with us is to reshape us into that which is acceptable and pleasing to him and what is beneficial to the world and to the kingdom. The key element in being reshaped, the key element for the clay in being reshaped is there has to be a yielding. That clay has to yield to the wishes of the potter, the spinning of the wheel, the movement of the fingers that press into it, that shape it, that mold it, that move it. We are constantly under that kind of pressure and movement in this delicate tension between the world and between God. And we must ask ourselves every day, who are we going to yield to? 
Am I going to be shaped by the world and its pressures and its demands? Or am I going to be shaped by the potter, by the creator, by my God, who has seen me spoiled on the wheel but has refused to throw me out? Rather, he is trying to reshape me if I yield to him. The message to Israel was God's going to make something new. The warning for them was he's going to get rid of us. We're going to be destroyed. We're going to be overtaken. We're going to be, we're going to be killed. I think the message in a greater sense was God's not going to stop with just Israel. He is going to kick open the doors to heaven and invite everybody in through his son. The potter and the wheel has a lot to do with Jesus because what is being reshaped was reshaped by the cross. We are the beneficiaries of the choice that God makes to reshape us into something acceptable and pleasing if we yield, if we obey, if we accept Jesus and follow after him. That is the message of the gospel. The wheel is spinning. The potter is waiting. But he needs needs that clay to yield to him, to work the way he wants it to work and to move the way he needs it to move. And it's not because God loves being in control. It's not because he has to have something to shape and to change according to his will. It's because because he, he loves us. It's because that yielding demonstrates that he is in control and that we rely on him because he wishes to keep us And to be kept, we must live up to what he has in store for us. If clay were stubborn, if clay were sentient and able to think, that clay would want to be useful. That clay would want to live up to something. But if it's stubborn and it doesn't work with the potter and it doesn't shape up to be what what it's designed to be, then it misses out on its usefulness. And we put ourselves in that position and understand that our failure to yield not only is a painful experience for God, but it is really, really selling ourselves short. God has so much in store for us if we will yield to him. When we humble ourselves before God, he lifts us up. Scripture teaches us that. When we yield to the potter, we are made into a vessel that is greater than we could make ourselves. We are made into something more suitable, more useful, and more perfect than we can ever imagine. We live up to God's standard and we live up to his intention. Don't settle for less. A couple verses to consider here as we close. Romans chapter 8. In verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for all for us all, how will he not also how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, 
who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can pull us apart from God. Nothing in this world. If we continue to yield and be shaped and molded into what he has in store for us, the image that he has in mind, There's nothing, nothing that can hurt us. Not eternally. And that's because Jesus holds the key. In the verse that was read before the lesson, he is the author and perfecter of our faith. The author is the writer, the creator. He's the reason that there is faith. The faith does not exist without Christ. There is nothing to put faith in. It is only because of Jesus' death on the cross that we have something to hold on to, that we have a faith worth clinging to. And the perfecter, not because we have perfect faith all the time, but because to be perfect is to be complete. Completeness and perfection are the same thing in biblical languages. He is the completer of our faith. He makes that faith worth having. Because now... I don't have to put my hope in myself that I'm going to be good enough and when the scorecard is read in heaven, I'm going to get in. Because if I put my faith in myself, I will be disappointed every time. But I put my faith in Jesus Christ because he makes it complete. He gives me something to hold on to because he is perfect. Because he said that if I believe in him, I get to go in. Because of him, he makes my faith complete. Let us put our faith in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of that faith, that we can be made whole, that we can be made up to God's standard, but more importantly, that we can be made usefully in his image. That's the image he has designed for us and has in mind. There are going to be days where the clay is spoiled in the potter's hands. Because we are stubborn and we are weak. But together, working in community, strengthening each other and encouragement, we can be shaped and molded. And what comes off of that wheel when it's done, if it is yielded and been shaped as the potter desires, will be pleasing to him. We're exactly what he has in mind if we yield. This morning, if you need encouragement to to walk that path, if we can work with you in any way or pray for you and encourage you, we want to do that. If you need to accept Jesus Christ in baptism, we offer an opportunity for you to do that as well as we stand and while we sing together.